You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Assalamu alaikum ladies and gentlemen. This is Late Night Live on Radio Ramadan. Thank you all for joining tonight. And we have our Scottish listeners all around, even people further. I, I believe I heard there's people in California and even as far as you know, Canada as well listening to the show. So thank you all for joining us. I have with me two wonderful people who are going to discuss why I may need a diet. It's all about uh, nutrition. It's about perhaps exercise as well, maybe a mixture of everything. I have two guests with me. One is Tabassum Harveen, who is a nutritionist. And I also have Dr. Saira Dar, who you all know very well. She's very preeminently based here in Scotland and is very passionate about diet as well. So, assalamu alaikum. Thank you for joining me. Tabassum, are you there? Yes, wa alaikum salam. Can I just correct you first? Yes, please. I'm a dietitian. <laughs> oh, did, did I say nutritionist? Yes, you did. <laughs> you, 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 you can correct me definitely. I do apologize. It's, it's, I, 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 often, I often, it's, it's a mistake that's often made, and, and, but I, I'll just correct you as a dietitian. <laughs> Tell, tell me why why do we do this mistake often? Why, why do you think I, I think I think people just think diet, nutrition, mm-hmm. nutritionist, do you know? Um, whereas mm-hmm. a dietitian is kind of, we deal with kind of um, giving dietary advice for, you know, illness and chronic illness. And, you know, we provide therapeutic diets, um, which is slightly different from a nutritionist. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And, and that's why we have um, Saira as well. Saira, are you there? You may be on mute. Asalaamu Alaikum, how are you? Welcome, Islam. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Um, well, look, I, I, it's a pleasure having you both on. Before I, Normally what I do before I start a show, um, I'd like to uh, first ask both of you to perhaps introduce yourself just a little bit of a um, little background, a little bio, um, so that the audience knows a bit more. Um, Tabasam, would you like to start first since you're the top left hand of the Zoom call? Um, yes, I'll start. Um, so my name is Tabasam um, um, and I am a dietitian. Um, I am currently working in NHS GTNC. Um, my specialism just now is within general mental health. Um, I've worked in a wide variety of different settings within community, within acute hospitals and different specialities as well. Um, I, I, I love my job, I really enjoy my job, but I also, I, with my job, I, I enjoy cooking, I enjoy, you know, um, walking, I enjoy exercise and I've recently just got into gardening. Wow. I think wow. As, as is everybody else, I think, in lock, during lockdown. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, that's, that's really uh, kind of you to, to enlighten us more about your background and, of course, your gardening passion that's erupted because of uh, the current situation. Um, Saira, how about yourself? Yes, I think so. Yeah, I'm a GP. I work in Glasgow in a mainly urban population, a quite high 
percentage of Muslims and South Asians in the population that I serve. I have a special interest in lifestyle medicine and I also do a private clinic called Pure Remedy where I do hijama and energy medicine and lifestyle coaching um, with a background of NLP. Um, and yeah, so I've, I've a kind of range of different interests. So a typical GP, I know a little bit about everything and I'm a master of nothing. Um, and unlike, unlike the Basum, I'm not a gardener, though I tried to in the first lockdown, I bought plants and unfortunately the olive trees that I bought are now dead, unfortunately. I'm sure that's not your fault. Uh, <laughs> no, I think it is. <laughs> Olive trees in Scottish weather. I didn't realize they could even uh, grow here. Well, my sister-in-law had bought these ones and hers had actually given her some olives. I mean, they're not edible olives, but you know, you could see them. So I thought, great, I'll give it a go. But unfortunately, um, where I am, maybe it's a bit too cold or windy up here. I don't know. But yeah, unfortunately, it didn't go very far. Well, that's okay. that's well, interesting because I, my daughter's bought me an olive tree last year. And I just assumed it's not going to give me any fruit, but actually I might be surprised then, Saya. Inshallah, inshallah. <laughs> I have to say though, I did, I have, um, some plants have not survived under my care either. So don't worry about it. I'm persevering. Don't worry, your fingers get greener. Just got to persevere. <laughs> I, I, I usually I usually have when when I, if my family visit or someone visits and looks at my poor plants they tend to take them away for a, a you know to revive them and then bring them back that's how it works. Well, well, look, another part of the so as we start, I always um I'd like to share you know new stories that are out there. So, um, something on the top of your head, if either of you'd like to start. Maybe there's a news topic, something that you've been reading about, something that's on your mind, could be funny, could be, you know, more uh, worrisome. What kind of news story have either of you been listening to that concerns you or you think is worth smiling about? That's a hard one because I haven't read anything today that was worth smiling about. Um, that's a difficult one. It just reading the news is so dire these days. Unfortunately, I was just been reading about the situation in India and Brazil um, with COVID uh, kind of ravaging through the country. Unfortunately, and um, the other thing I read about was Boris Johnson and Mr. Dyson exchanging text messages, all very dodgy and corrupt goings on in our government. So yeah, nothing much to smile about. Unfortunately, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I absolutely. I can understand. How about you, Sarah? Anything? At the bottom. <laughs> um, oh, oh, sorry. I, sorry, I, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, actually, I did. I did smile this morning when I was listening to the radio because um, there was a film that was produced in the eighties, and it was called Gregory's Girl, and it was the first oh, yeah. Scottish um, kind of coming of age film that was made and it was a huge hit. And I remember, I didn't watch it at the time, I watched it afterwards because, you know, we weren't really allowed to go to the cinema. <laughs> we had to watch it afterwards, but it's apparently the, I think the, the 30th anniversary or something like that. And it was just a bit of nostalgia, just reminding me of, you know, watching it and just, um, it was just, it was just really funny and it's Scottish and it was very kind of relatable to us um, at that time. Well, you know, to listen, something that reminded me of Gregory's Girl that I watched recently was Wild Rose. Have you heard or seen of it? 
I think it's on Netflix. It's it's about a young um, Glaswegian woman who comes out of prison and mm. has a big passion for country music and wants to go mm. to Nashville. Uh, and mm. it's just, it's, it's got great cast and a great story. And again, because it's based in Glasgow, you see all these streets that you recognise. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, Gregory's Girl, it really did bring back nice memories because we were younger then as well. And, you know, it was girls playing football, whereas at that time, no girls played football. And it was just a real kind of ahead of its time. Um, mm. So that, that made me smile today, that did make me smile, so I've got a happy story. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to say, you know, we, we are live on the radio these days and um, I'm getting used to the accent. It's been three years for me now and um, I, I no longer need a translator, <laughs> um, but because we're, we're on the radio, I often do make that error of, who did say that? <laughs> but, Hopefully you'll both forgive me for that. That's okay, Niaz, we forgive you. It's absolutely fine. <laughs> so, um, well, look, I, I've got a piece of news and uh, it's uh, two, two bits from HuffPost. One is uh, a Florida woman survives being hit by a flying turtle. That was a true story. And she actually, her daughter called 911, uh, which is 999 uh, equivalent of. Uh, and uh, for some reason, uh, she was hit by a turtle that was um, in the air and nobody knows why, but that's a typical Florida story for you. <laughs> um, apart from that, I, I think you're, you're all right that uh, it's always hard um, gleaming the positive uh, and the nicer news. And that's why we're here. We, we wanna be able to impart positive knowledge um, and get the best specialists like both of you and um, be able to you know, share some ideas um, to change cultural, change lifestyles and improve our lives. So on that wonderful note, um, who would like to start and you know, talk about today's topic? Well, I actually had just done a talk the other day on a diet in Ramadan. Um, with an, on um, a, a Facebook Live, um, and and when I was asked to do this, I was like, no, that was hard work. I had to talk for such a long period of time. <laughs> um, but I thought, you know, while it's all fresh in my head, it's probably good to do another one because I've been invited. So Alhamdulillah, you know, um, Saira encouraged me to to take part. <laughs> I really appreciate, we all appreciate that all of Scotland that's listening and those further away appreciate it because honestly, um, what we find is feedback does come back and people are like often asking, can I get a copy of the show to share with someone else? And um, they're learning something. And that, that's, that's really, even if we change a few lives, I think that is a start and you, know, you get a ripple effect of uh, positivity from it all. Inshallah. So, um, you, you mentioned you, you, you started this talk. Um, what, what, so tell us a bit more about um, the, the talk. So, you, you said it was uh, fasting as well related. Yeah, yeah. So, basically, it was um, to um, 
and the audience was for Muslim women and uh, basically it was diet during Ramadan. So basically what would you eat for Suhoor, recommended foods for iftar, um, you know, keeping hydrated, you know, keeping well, um, uh, just the topics, I mean, just going into a bit more detail about that. And obviously things such as, you know, the treats, the treat side of things as well, you know, what kind of things, you know, we all, after a big long fast, we all want to treat ourselves and what kind of things we should have and, you know, whether we should or whether we shouldn't, you know, it was all along those lines. So I was just giving some kind of, um, some more, I, I'd like to think it was more practical advice and a bit a, a, a realistic advice on how to kind of you know, have a good as Ramadan as you can, you know, as far as your diet goes. It's not easy. I have a lot of um, friends and, and their wives um, saying to me, and my, so it's, it's a lot of the, you, you'd think like it's a lot of the ladies who are want, wanting to diet, but it's actually not. It's actually these days, I'm, I'm finding it's a lot of the men who are saying, I've gained the belly. And maybe it's part of the pandemic where we're um, less active, especially over the winter months that were quite difficult. Um, mm -hmm. So, you, you know, it's it is very poignant and is now the mm -hmm. the best time to try to then you know lose weight with through fasting i think i think ramadan is a time and this is what i i'd said as well that ramadan is a time it's interesting you you say that now about the weight thing because we're obviously talking about diet today but i think it, you know and we can definitely talk about weight loss and I, i'm sure we can give lots of tips on that but I, it's also important to say that diet doesn't mean something you do to lose weight like diet and nutrition and talking about food it's such a complex topic here you know, there's a lot of culture involved there's obviously for us religious issues pop culture what's kind of you know what kind of fast food is available or your financial kind of situation but i always say to patients like diet when i'm talking about diet i'm not meaning necessarily that you need to lose weight well often that can be the case but not always for me it's about just eating better to get the best out of your food so you can be physically healthier um, and it's a preventative for disease as well as you know to, to sort of sometimes reverse and manage certain chronic disease but for me it's very much about preventing disease it's like was it Hippocrates said about food being a medicine and you know and, and I think I, I think we need to be kind of focusing on diet more so in that aspect to manage chronic disease but also to prevent chronic disease yeah That's absolutely very well said. yeah i absolutely agree with you um i think you know what i was going to say was that ramadan is a time where we probably do things that we would never ever be able to do do you know if you're trying to maybe give up chocolate or drink less tea or something you wouldn't you know you might probably find that difficult at any other time of the year but during ramadan you're able to fast these, especially in Scotland, these very long fasts with, with, with relative ease. So it can be a time where, you know, you can maybe start maybe reassessing, you know, the way that you eat and maybe trying to kind of look at, you know, areas where you could make changes, you know, because you're able to do that in that month. And it can be a good starting point, I guess, if you are kind of motivated to kind of make changes to your diet for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, um, you know, if you have gone a, a chronic condition or whether you just want to generally eat healthier. Mm, absolutely and just on that note a, a kind of a, a positive story my husband who you both know has actually lost eight kilograms in Ramadan 
Um, I, I was going to say one, one of the, I think one of the big reasons is the the easy access and cheap processed foods that we have uh, available to us. So I think social economical kind of circumstances have a big part to play in this, and also advertisement and media and these sort of things. Um, and actually, I read something recently saying that if you're from a lower socioeconomical class, you're more likely to be um, surrounded by takeaways and fast food joints. So if you live in that kind of area, there'll be a KFC and burger joints more so in that area than in wealthy areas. And you know that's because the food is also cheap um, and that marketing in, you know, towards that kind of group leads to worse health outcomes often in those sort of a kind of socioeconomical poorer areas uh, so yeah a lot more processed food that's very cheap easy to get hold of i mean you, you don't even need to leave, you know, leave your house you just call the what is it deliveroo and they bring your takeaway to you uh, and it's really cheap you know these sort of this sort of food is cheap and it's convenient it's too convenient and even when you go to the supermarket the vast majority of food stuff that you get will have really high amounts of sugar in them even things that are supposed to, supposed to be healthy you know, your cereal bars and these sort of things have a lot of sugar in them. So it's, it's we're overfed, but undernourished, um, which is leading to <clears throat> obesity and you know, lots of people being overweight and having lots of illnesses associated with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, completely, completely agree with you, Saina. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think, I think a lot of it has, has also got to do with it is, you know, knowing how to cook food, having the skills to cook food, you know, because obviously if people are buying convenience foods, you know, the children are not learning how to cook, you know, they're not learning how to do basic things like chop something or peel something, you know, so those skills aren't there. So even if somebody wanted to cook, you know, they might not have the confidence to actually prepare a meal because, you know, they, they've not seen it done or it's very alien to them. And even in schools now, you know, many schools, I remember when I was at school when I was younger, you know, we had home economics, which was a... Um, where you were taught to kind of cook and bake and basic things, you know, um, whereas you, you don't get that anymore, which makes it even more difficult. I, I remember home economics uh, from uh, my younger days. Um, so actually, yeah, we, we were um, made to do this. Um, so you nowadays they don't do this as a, as a compulsory subject for the kids? No, I think, I think nowadays it's as, as a leisure subject. When they get into fourth year, they can take it as a leisure subject. Is that right, Sarah? My, my daughters are older now, so I, I, I think yeah, that's... Yeah, my, my boys have never done that, actually. You're right. Uh, my boys have never done home economics, so they never chose for it. It's one of the subjects that you have to choose. Um, so, yeah, they never... Uh, I don't think they've ever done much of that. But, uh, yeah, so definitely the education from school isn't there but also culturally I think if you look at countries where there's more of a um extended family type of culture places like Italy you know so you talked about Mediterranean diets with like Italy and Spain you, you there's that culture of cooking together eating together um and unfortunately we've we're moving away from that in the UK and Scotland we don't have that culture of you know, you hand down recipes from your gran or your mum and cooking together as families and eating together as families. So that, it's all linked. Um, it very much is, is linked. And Debussin's absolutely right. We need to make sure that our, our kids and, you know, are taught these basic skills like chopping up vegetables and garlic, what fresh garlic looks like. 
um, and how to make really simple and very, very quick meals that are quicker than getting a takeaway. Um, these, these sort of basic skills are essential. I'm going to do a quick pause on that. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that time of the evening. We now have to take a short break for our sponsors. Thank you for listening. We will be back, so don't leave us yet. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back again. Thank you for listening to our sponsors. We really appreciate it. This is Late Night Live on Radio Ramadan. We have our two wonderful guests. Thank you both for joining this evening to talk about a very important part of um, our lives, our children's lives. Um, so who would like to start back again? Uh, I think it was uh, Saira who had to interrupt earlier. Tabassum? Yeah, I'm, I'm here, I'm here. Oh, okay, um, okay. good, yeah. sorry. Um, so apologies for technical difficulties, we are still back. Um, so just wanted to, you know, you know um, talk a bit more. So, you know, it, it's clearly that the children um, are not as instilled as much. So should, should we be starting uh, at a younger age from uh, as parents teaching them? Well, definitely, definitely, without a doubt. I think as a dietitian, you know, especially when I worked, um, I did a, um, a, short, a short stint doing, working with um, families um, with children that were, you know, struggling with their weight. Um, it, was a, it was a charity organisation and I kind of provide some dietetic input into that and it was basically, it was, it was a fantastic um, programme where they were actually going into, you know, antenatal clinics, um, you know, so when, when women were coming in, um, you know, getting their checks for, you know, um, you know to, to kind of check their bloods and everything and check that they were all okay, the pregnancy was going okay, they were starting giving them some, you know, dietary advice you know, as in, and just assessing them as well, just to see how do you eat, how do you cook, do you cook from scratch? You know, if you don't, is there anything that would help you start cooking from scratch? So the mums, even before they've had their children, they've had their baby, are being assessed and being started on that path. And um, so that if they felt as though they weren't confident in cooking, that they were actually, there were cooking classes that were actually being taught um, um, in various places that they could actually um, um, join and start doing basics of cooking. And within that, they were actually giving them, they'd got funding to actually get, even give them the basics as in, you know, um, frying pans, pots, knives, graters, mixers, you know, all the utensils as well. And it was a fantastic program. And I, you know, I only worked for a short period of time, but, you know, I think definitely, you know, I think the, the their vision was absolutely spot on, you know, even before a child is born, you know, maternal, maternal nutrition, um, and then looking at, you know, um, your child's nutrition, because, you know, your children are going to do what you do, you know, we're, they, we're their role model. So if we're um, going to be cooking from scratch, your children are going to be cooking from scratch as well. You know, just as I was saying, you know, um, you know, abroad, you know, in various places, you know, you know, there is a cook together, eat together type of culture where it is just an activity that they do together and it just is so wholesome. Um, but also in the long term, you know, it definitely is a, a, a positive way to, you know, improve your diet um, and prevent chronic ill health. That, that's really, really poignant and makes sense. Um, I, I wanted to add to, to that that. Um, so, you know, we're talking about the youngsters and, and children. Um, wasn't there a policy, so you both will probably know more about this than myself, 
um, being you know having lived here longer, um, wasn't there a policy from England where they decided to stop um, good healthy meals for children at school, or is that continuing in Scotland still? No, just now in Scotland there are. Um, I think uh, I, I'm sure it's um, under primary fours are getting free school meals. I mean, school school meals have been looked at for quite a while, and they are trying really to focus on making them as healthy as they can. You know, so that because I mean, unfortunately for some children, you know, that's the only you know meal that they will get in the day. Do you know? So they were focusing on it to make sure it was as nutritionally balanced as it possibly could be, um, as well as you know, um, cutting down on maybe high sugar, you know, high fat foods as well at the same time. So that, you know, the traditional puddings, you know, they were reducing kind of how often they were going to get them and having healthier alternatives such as a fruit and yogurt, you know, instead and just limiting the um, the sugary snacks or sugary kind of, you know, um, kind of pudding type of thing that you would have after your meal as well. Um, so that's still ongoing. I think, you know, and there are free school meals are available to, I think, as under primary fours, but I think the extent, I think there is talk about having free school meals for all, all primary school age children. That would be absolutely amazing. Um, I'll give you a quick story. There was a primary teacher that said this, and it was very heartbreaking to hear. And, you know, sometimes they, they, they do these, I guess, called like a locum shift where they go to other schools in deprived areas. And it's very hard work that we're saying that, you know, they see the, the children suffering quite often because, of, you know, the parents are very deprived of themselves and don't, don't have much money or misspending the money, et cetera. So that main meal at school is fundamentally essential for them. Um, and at the same time, it being nutritional to them is just of such utmost importance. So they were saying that if they could, you know, have more as the children are older, that would really help uh, some of these deprived families in, in different parts of Glasgow. So it, it does yeah, seem Nazem, very essential. You're talking about the school meals. I wonder if you're thinking about the Jamie Oliver campaign that he had a few years ago where his, his the campaign was about school meals. He campaigned that school meals were nutritionally very poor and that they, they should be like a, over, like a complete overhaul of them. And out of that campaign, one of the things that came out was the sugar tax um so I, I mean i don't know if that has the sugar tax obviously kind of over the country but in terms of school meals i don't know if his campaign had any effect on school meals in scotland i mean obviously like the was said we have the free school meals for up to primary four which is great for because it's such an essential essential uh, service for some families but in terms of nutritional value i mean i still i asked Rukaya what she has for her lunch uh, when she comes home and often I'm, I'm disappointed because for example it'll be margarita pizza with garlic bread so i was like so like so you had bread with bread mm. uh, and you know, <laughs> that, that that's the lunch so it's not i think there's there's a lot of improvement that can be made so, so i think it's an ongoing process the other thing with kids and, and diet is one of the kind of um quite modern phenomena is this whole snacking you know, so we're encouraged to, we're all encouraged to snack. So at, between your breakfast and your lunch, snack time, there's, you know, there's that tea time with a biscuit. And then between your, your lunch and dinner, you should have a snack. And kids are being brought up with regular snack times. And I, I, mean, I wonder what some feels about that, but that's not actually, that, that's a very much due to marketing of certain foods that came out, you know, your chocolates and biscuits and cakes. And it was to market the, 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 yes. 
kind of almost make a need for for that kind of food though we don't need to snack and actually it's so much better to have your two or three set meals and not be stacking in between at all and your meals should be nutritious and balanced enough to kind of take you from one meal to the next yeah i mean as far as snacks go i think snacks have have you know i wouldn't say no snacks but i would say it's what the snack is you know a piece of fruit a handful of nuts some dried fruit you know that 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 would be what i would consider you know a suitable snack but I think snacks have become even if with nuts they'll be chocolate coated nuts you know if it's if it's um fruit it, you know it will be kind of like with, with cream in it or you know yogurt covered fruit or something like that you know so everything has been made you know something healthy has been made you know unhealthy you know so to speak so you know you could have you know something that isn't you know like so you could have dried fruits but dried fruit what has it got it's yogurt yogurt covered dried fruit so really you know you're actually making it more unhealthy you know even though you know it's nutritious the dried fruit itself is nutritious you know you're covering in something sugary and you know um, just to kind of entice children and, and that's what it is it's habit forming and those habits form and you know then everybody gets used to having these sugary snacks and it becomes part of your diet then it becomes ingrained and it's just like I said before you know it's starting off at a young age and not having you're not expecting to get these kind of foods you know because then you you, you don't have that habit formation from the start as a parent that's that's really key I mean I, I notice in myself that I find the dried uh, um, you know fruits are so sugary and intensely so that I, I'm just not used to it I'd rather have dry nuts instead but you know the kids are going to be used to this they not probably not want sour cranberries um and so it is very limiting and you know uh, a couple of days ago we had um two professors from glasgow university who were talking about the issues of glycemic index and, and insulin etc and and basically said you know instead of having pressed fruits in terms of juices they're they have very high contents of sugar just pick a fruit, have a couple different fruits, actually go to their source and um, do that instead. That's what, that, that was their recommendation for, for children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you end up, if you, if you drink too much fruit juice, you end up not feeling full at all. It doesn't fill you up, but you're taking in all these calories. Whereas, you know, like a couple of oranges, because you're going to have the whole orange with the fiber in it, you will feel, you know, uh, more full, um, and the fiber makes sure that the sugar is absorbed properly, so much better for you. I mean, it, it's really just going back to basics. You know, we should be eating the way nature has intended for the food to be eaten. Um, and one of the general rules is if your food has more than five products in it or things in it that have E numbers or chemicals, then it's probably not that great for you, though. I mean, having an occasional snack and having these occasionally is fine. Don't feel guilty about it, enjoy it, but it just shouldn't be a regular thing. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. Um, uh, so that, that comes to an, another point, which is, um, OK, how many times can we enjoy, you know, kids put a lot of pressure on and sometimes it's an adult in the family that puts a lot of pressure on of enjoying maybe weekly fast food. Is that a smart choice? I think I think if you restrict things, then you know if I think with the culture that we're living in, you know their their peers will be maybe talking about eating fast food or how often they have it and what fast food they had. So I think denial is probably not 
um, you know, a good idea, but limiting it as much as you possibly can. I think that's what I would be doing. Um, not even once a week, you know, if you can limit it even more than that, that would be even better because, you know, nutritionally it's, you know, you're not going to get very much from it at all and probably not enjoy it that much as well. But I think if you teach your children to eat homemade food, if you are eating wholesome food, homemade, home-cooked food, do you know when they actually eat fast food, they, they actually don't enjoy it that much you know, and either, do you know, so they probably wouldn't want it that much, but I wouldn't say not have it at all. I would just limit it as much as you possibly can because you really can't get away from it. You know, there's signs everywhere for all different fast foods. Um, you know, um, and, you know, and they're, they're, they're children, they're going to want it, you know, and the more you deny, the more you say no, the more they're going to want it. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I totally, um, I agree with you and can can as a parent um, of now adult kids understand and appreciate that my my, my two uh, are 18 and 19 and when they were much younger there was more pull um can we get a toy from that this place or that that place you know especially in america and other countries um there's a lot of marketing um and and also in terms of the there's another aspect so, so which which goes hand in hand with fast food but it's also we find this uh, pressure at home which is the the sodas in terms of um sugar sugar based sodas and there's a lot of children who may gain and, and this is from national center for health St statistics found that teens get 327 calories a day from sugary sodas and teas and energy drinks that's on average, and that's considerable. So it's 41% of the added sugar in diets. This is on American kids, because I couldn't find the UK ones. So I find that quite shocking. So is the alternative then, and now the professors I had on before, one of them, they said, we didn't really study this yet, but um, maybe we should be um, taking artificial sweeteners in, in drinks instead. Is that a safe option? I think um, I think you know if if you are if you are a teenager who's drinking these sugary fizzy drinks, you know, and you're told to completely stop them, that's really unrealistic. You have to be realistic and say, right, okay, you know, is that achievable? And it's not. And you're right. Probably the right thing is to maybe opt for initially um, moving to low sugar variety, the sugar free varieties with the artificial sweeteners initially with an aim to start reducing how much you know they're going to have because I think you have to be realistic they're not going to stop drinking fizzy drinks and switch to water you know um, but like you mentioned the caffeinated drinks the high energy caffeinated drinks they are just you know they're you know the effect on children you, there's so there's so much caffeine in them there's sugar in them you know and the effect on children's mental health as well you know it's it's quite you know shocking to kind of see how how much um, um children are drinking these caffeinated drinks and and actually in schools i'm sure in schools they have been you know you're not allowed to have them within schools if you bring them in they are taken from you you know um I know myself, I work in mental health and um, within our hospital, you know, they have stopped um, um, they don't they don't allow patients to bring them in or, you know, patients, visitors, if they bring them in, they do take them away from them, you know, because because of the caffeine content and obviously the sugar within them as well. I, I would agree. I, I really have a pet hate for energy drinks and I think it's just really 
a irresponsible the way they're marketed as a as sports drink sometimes um, and a lot of teenagers drink consume a lot of them and again we've got lots of evidence that suggests the link with violent behavior and even actually there was a paper that suggested um that it causes heart sort of issues um and i think there's been some random cases of harsh tax in young young uh, males that, that has been associated with these sort of high consumption of energy drinks so like, it's not just the sugar content it's the caffeine and all other stuff that's in it so yeah mental health issues and physical health issues there really are terrible to consume so my, my boys who are teenagers they know that they're just not allowed to i mean i don't drink i don't mind if they have their coke and iron brew fine but not those energy drinks i think they're really really bad for you and like you said you said something about the sweeteners um it is and if someone consumes a lot of sugar in their tea or their coffee um it's unrealistic to go from that to nothing because the body is going to crave it it's a drug we know it's one of those most potent drugs there is um so to gradually get them off by the reducing or having alternative is is obviously a really good in between until you get them back then because the body naturally does crave the sugar and it, it, the effects of coming off it can be quite difficult for some people to to bear look this this is really key and critical um, and disturbing to to hear and it moves us on to another part of this discussion which is mental illness and how you're helping people um, in terms of their you know, you know their diet plans etc and so I can understand that caffeine etc can you know affect people and and that would be through lack of sleep what else am I, are, are we missing and should be aware of um, if either of you would like to tell us so I ask you I'm not sure what the question was there <laughs> yeah sir no 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 I I, I I will try to be as clear as possible so so it's about mental illness and you know, um, working with patients who have mental illness um, and well I, I see that it can affect our mental side of our health when we don't eat well so if I got that correct and then also you know you did mention um, excessive addiction so we're talking about addictions here as well to different foods um, how, what other aspects would we be looking at and how can we resolve them with good plans in terms of us as parents, us as uh, ourselves, you know, in, in our addictions with foods? I think, I think it's just, you know, like um, having, you know, a well-balanced, varied diet, you know, I think that's very, very important, having your regular meals you know, because, you know, our brains need a constant supply of glucose, you know, and, you know, we, we, we get that from our food. And if our food, if we have complex carbohydrates in our meals, you know, we have protein, um, we have fruit and vegetables giving us vitamins and minerals, a variety of different sources of all these types of foods, you know, you'll be able to get all the nutrients you need, you know, to have, you know, um, to maintain or you know, your, your mental health and keep that as well as it possibly can be. Yeah, yeah, no, I can understand that. Um, I have my co-host who just managed to join us, um, Abdulaziz. Abdulaziz, are you there? I'm here. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome, Salam. Thank, Thank you for joining us. 
Alaikum salam. Um, I don't know if you caught on. Um, I appreciate you you had a busy day working, but I'm glad you could join us. Um, do you have any questions for, for our guests tonight? Yeah, um, well, I just listened to the last part there, um, talking about eating addiction. Um, yes, yeah, it's something that actually, well, you can binge sometimes. Like, I, I know during Furlough, I was, I actually couldn't stop eating. I actually don't know what happened to it. And I knew, what am I doing here? Uh, I don't know what it was, but um, I, I actually, now that I've got back to work, I'm back to normal again, but then I'm just I'm just wondering. People that have got a lot of time on their hands, they're in the house. Unfortunately, maybe they may not have a job. Um, I can see how if you're feeling down and depressed, that you can you basically your only form of comfort is actually for some reason eating. And I wonder why the brain thinks like that when you're down. Why does food compensate uh, a mood? What is it that's in the food that's making your brain tell you I need food to make you feel just normal? Yeah, I think what you're describing is something that a lot of people have gone through, but you've actually, the few things that you talked about was, what you've mentioned is, you know, when you weren't working, you had a lot of time in your hands and these things have a huge impact. So, you know, having a routine and habits these things are really, really important. And you can't disassociate food from emotions. Like that's just the way we work. Some people when they're down, eat more. Some people when they're down, lose their appetite. Um, and certain kind of foods will make them feel better. Usually those are the kind of processed carbs, you know, your chips and your bread and your rice based kind of things because it gives you a, a boost because it gets, you know, you get that energy kind of fix from them. But I find that when you educate people on food, and what the food is doing for them and for them when they make that link with emotions and food then that can actually be a really deep insight for the individual and in itself is a healing because this is it, it i think it does require healing i think people need to understand their relationship with food and what food means to them um, and we should be looking at food as mm -hmm. something for nutrition that gives us nutrition not something that gives us comfort so when you realize that food is giving you comfort then that's the first step to changing it you need to find that comfort elsewhere um, and you know so food and emotion they're so interconnected and we also know that people that have poor um eating habits are more likely to have lower mood so when you consciously change your diet you unconsciously change your health in every aspect including an emotional kind of aspect as well it definitely does have a huge impact and we know more and more about the gut brain kind of barrier and the the, the importance of your immune system and the mental health you know dependent on yeah. what you think mm. you know you you mentioned gut there i remember i was watching a program and it was this lady went in for some kind of uh, uh, that procedure you get that you clear your stomach out. Uh, yeah, something like that. It's a long word. <laughs> but but uh, what actually happened was something happened and uh, I don't know what happened, but it was basically some, some form of contamination from a very heavy person. And uh, th this lady then became overweight. And then they the, the somehow realised that the bacteria in her gut was uh, kind of uh, mixed up with a very heavy person. So they, they found out, well, if it happened with a, a, a very heavy person, let's try it with a very thin person. And when they, they did this same, same kind of gut cleansing procedure with a thin person, she actually, the, the weight fell off her. 
So is, is this something that might be gen genetic in our, in our stomachs that, that, that make us naturally fat or thin? I mean, there, there are, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean that, that kind of, I was trying to work out what is, is it, is it like a transplant or something? I think, no. you know, yeah, like, I think, I think that's what it is. I think it's like a caloric transplant, transplant so it's got yeah, from one person into another. <laughs> um, I mean, this, this, the studies on the effect of your genes, because, you know, like, you know, a lot of people would say, you know, like if there's, there's people that are overweight in a family, they'll say, oh, it's my genes. Do you know, and I would always kind of argue and say, you know, it's, it's not really your genes, you know, you're just eating too much. That's why you're overweight, do you know, but you'd, I'd have a fight on my hands because, you know, whoever I was speaking to would say, there's no way, look at my whole family, they're all, you know, overweight. And so it is in our genes. And, but the thing is, there's, there's constant research that's going on that, you know, is, is, is kind of looking at the role that genes have in obesity and you know it's not quite as simple as you're eating too much there actually is more to it but there's a lot more study that needs a lot more studies and research that need to be done and mm -hmm. um, but i would say that you know if you're eating too much you are going to put on weight you know um, yeah do you think it's because people have got more money and they've got more expendable cash and they just Spend it. No, 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 not necessarily. I it, again, if you look at communities of lower socioeconomical and you know sort of areas of deprivation, there's a lot of obesity in those areas, and it's because that kind of high calorie, low nutritional food is cheap. It's cheaper in some ways than vegetables and you know buying organic meat, uh, and it's accessible and it's easy. So it, I don't think it's um, it's having too much money in your hands, and I agree with. Them. I think the whole genetics and weight thing is uh, something we're still kind of looking into. And there's, but I, one of the, one of the famous sayings that you hear in lifestyle medicine: genes are not your destiny; your lifestyle is your destiny. And so that you know, when we talk about lifestyle, we're talking about diet, movement, stress management. All of it's really, really interconnected, and we need to kind of really understand that it's not just about um, it's not your genes don't don't explain everything. However, one of the things I kind of came across is. Um, you can be genetically predisposed to having more um, kind of inclination towards sugar uh, and craving more sugar. So you may get that, you know, you may be that, that poor individual that, you know, gets addicted to sugar quicker. Right. Uh, but we also know that when your gut bacteria is of poor quality, your body wants more sugar. So it's almost, it becomes a vicious cycle. The mm. poorer your diet the more you crave that kind of food. Yeah. Um, I, had, I had a friend who, who, couldn't, who could eat for Britain and there was nothing on him. How, how does he even have some form of, I, I don't know, does he have a, a quicker metabolism, do you think? I don't know, is that a thing? I mean, I think there's, there's, there's been studies done and, you know, um, on twins, you know, where one twin is very, very slim and one twin isn't, you know, and genetically the same, you know, they've been brought up exactly the same as to, you know, why, you know, one isn't, one is overweight and one isn't, one is a, a relatively healthy weight. You know, I, I, I do personally think that, you know, a person might seem as though they're eating a lot, but they might actually be really quite active and not active as in they're climbing mountains, they're just active within their daily life. So they are actually expending that energy and actually they might be making food choices that are, you know, healthier, 
you know yeah. um but it seems like because a lot of people will say so and so eat so much but actually when when you i've had patients who have come to me and said i eat so much i eat so much i'm not putting on weight but when i've done a dietetic a full assessment on them actually when i go through their diet and they keep food diaries they actually don't eat that much do you know yeah. and actually they are you know without realizing it by fidgeting by just being on the move you know yeah. actually expending their energy so they're not putting on weight yeah, yeah. And, and mental activity uses up energy as well so some, if someone's got that particular kind of job where they're very focused and have to use a lot of mental energy they may be using a, a lot more calories than someone else and mm -hmm. also we need to kind of remember the aspect of stress in our lives if you're if you have a life and you're highly stressed and you're not managing your stress you're more you know you're more likely to be overweight than someone mm -hmm. that manages their stress better it's, it's quite a thing though i mean when i was at school i left school shows academy in the late 80s and there was one guy who was overweight i can still see his face right now in the whole school i honestly can't since we've came on i was actually trying to rack my brain so something's obviously happened in the last few decades or so for so many people to be so obese everywhere and it is a thing it's, it's quite frightening uh, so yeah, something's definitely happened. Uh, I think, I think it's just like what we spoke about earlier, and I think before you came on, is just the environment. We're in a so-called yeah. obesogenic environment. You know, everywhere you go, any new any shop that shuts, it opens up as a new, you know, as a food place. You know, whether it's a yeah. coffee shop, whether it's a fast, whether it's a chippy, or whether exactly. it's a, you know a dessert place. You know, it, they are all opening up. There's food everywhere. We can't get away else. from it. And it's making it very, very difficult, you know, especially if you are, um, you don't have that nutritional education and awareness, then it makes it very, very difficult, you know, yeah. um, um, to, to resist. And if, if you're, you know, a certain age and your peers are all doing it, you know, you, you just, you just it, it's just a culture, it becomes a culture. Yeah. And the opposite of that is that there's so much information about diets, so many different kinds of diets, um, because obviously information is at our fingertips. So if you wanted to, you know, find out what would be a good diet. There's there's so much to choose from, so many fad diets out there. It, I think is really overwhelming for people. Um, yeah. And this is where I guess people like the Bussum comes in. It's just about getting back to basics. Keep it simple. There's some, you know, when I, when I do my lifestyle coaching, I kind of take a, a basic diet. His general, the Bussum does the same because you, that in itself, it, it can be a revelation for some patients when they realise on paper exactly what they're eating and consuming. And then you need to individualise it to that person. Like, do they live alone? Do they live in an extended family? Do they do the cooking? Do they get the groceries? Because if you don't take all of that into account, you can't actually advise anyone about how to improve their diet. It has to be very much individualised to that person. I think that unfortunately there's on the internet, there's so much, so much information, so many fad diets that it's overwhelming for people and they don't know where to start. Um, yeah, it's, it's quite sad. And, and, you know, and obviously when people get overweight and the mental health comes into it, you know, the, the, the depression of being overweight, the clothes don't fit. You get anxious, you know, be self-conscious. It is a, a real concern. I really uh, feel sorry for me. And I, I, I can put on weight like in a blink of an eye. So I've really got to watch what I eat all the time. It's a, it is a bit, a bit of a pain. And sometimes when I kind of relax and my, my, kind of, I let my guard down a bit, I can indulge in a little bit of food here and there. But I have to quickly pull back the reins and then behave myself again and 
uh, you know, look after myself. But yeah, it, it can be, you can go down that slippery slope very, very quickly. Um, but, I, I, you know, obviously, usually people can give the advice, but the advice that I would give when I'd give myself is try and snap out of it as quick as you can, uh, no matter how little of a difference, you know, it's, it's, at least it's a start. But we also yeah. need to remember that food is a blessing from God. It's like one of those pleasures that we are, you know, being allowed to, to partake in. Um, so we shouldn't, and, but unfortunately we do sometimes see food as a negative thing, like, oh, food's my enemy, or when I overindulge and I feel guilty. And there's also a lot of negativity that sometimes can be associated with food. And we need to, I think it's a mindset change that we need to really have and see food as something that's a blessing from God that we can enjoy, we should enjoy. Um, but really to get the benefit from it, there's a certain way of doing that. It's just about going back to basics and eating real food. Yeah. And, and the strange thing is, I'll tell you about something about sugar before Niaz comes back in. You know, I had a business in Dumbarton. It was a post office and a big kind of mini market thing. And my children, boy and girl, uh, they're quite older now, but uh, obviously they grew up in the shop. And do you know they never touched the chocolate? And when their friends used to come and then they used to meet them and then used to say, wow, your dad's got a shop. Oh, my God, you can eat as much sweeties as you want. And they kind of just looked at them as if, okay, yeah, we can. But they obviously didn't know any different. But none of them eat chocolate or sweeties because they grew up around it all. So I just thought it was, it was quite strange. Anyway, no, that's interesting you should say that because I had a friend whose parents... Um, really would not let them eat um, biscuits, crisps, chocolate, fizzy drinks. It was completely banned. It was only allowed on very special occasions like birthdays or parties or something. And, you know, <laughs> they just eat so much. You know, they, their diet is so bad because they just they were denied so much. But once they were older, old enough to make their own choices, they, they just went a bit, you know, um, crazy and you know, eat a lot of chocolate and crisps and fizzy drinks, you know. Um, I was the same. My father had a shop as well. We had, um, you know, we were, you know, we could eat anything we wanted to. And there was times when you did overindulge, but in general, we, we probably didn't because we knew there wasn't, you know, that that restriction but it's I I guess it's you know like if, if you're if you're saying no you can't have that then it makes it more appealing and yeah. you want it more whereas if you are if you if you you know like if your children you know um you know you have your meal you have your home cooked meal and you allow them something you know you'll find that actually more often than not that they probably wouldn't really want it because their meal would be enough and um, mm. fill them up enough you know, yeah, I, I have a similar experience again. My dad, my dad was a shopkeeper and we would stop at the shop on the way to school. And my dad would say, would you want to enjoy anything, take a snack? And the answer usually was no, because, and I think part of that was because my mum and dad never consumed any chocolates mm. or biscuits and it just wasn't a thing in the family. So even though, again, it was on offer, it was never in the house. My mum and dad never consumed those things. Uh, so growing up, we just didn't have that inclination towards that. However, mm -hmm. when I got married, I came into a family that were big on let's sit together with a cup of tea and get the biscuits and chocolates out. And mm -hmm. I would be the only one sitting there with my cup of tea and not having biscuits and chocolates because by that point, my habit has been established. And it goes <laughs> back to what we said about the kids. You know, this is really when you need to get them into good eating habits. Okay. And so just before Niaz, you come in, what's the best 
biscuit to dip into your tea since you're, this is your field of expertise. Anybody? My, do you know my favourite are the Pakistani katais? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, no. No, 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 no. No, I think it's like from made from almond flour. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that one of the wrong crispy rusks that you put into the tea? No, 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 no. They're like small round biscuits. Uh, I think it's either semolina or almond flour. They're my favourite biscuit. Okay, I'll need, I'll need to get that. I'll need to have I'm, a not, I'm not a biscuit. I'm not a dipper. I don't like it. I like a crispy biscuit with my tea. I don't like soggy biscuits. Oh, you've, you've, not, you've not lived. You've not lived. It's got to be a <laughs> I know I've tried it and it's not for me. Especially when it falls into your mug and it's lying well, the going, at the bottom. Well, that's what I was just going to say. There's a skill involved so that you just can't start dipping. You have to evolve. It has to go organically and then you get it going. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what biscuit do you recommend then? I, I recommend a digestive biscuit, and and then my second choice is a hobnob. So a hobnob, a chocolate, yeah. chocolate one. Oh no, chocolate just melts. No chance. Uh, okay, it's okay. got to be just the plain ones, yeah. So, but you've got to be really quick because see if you don't concentrate, like you just said, you're going to <laughs> you're going to dip it in and, and bring it back out. There's not going to be any biscuit there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do that after iftar now, after I've had my iftar, I'm going to have a, I'm going to dunk my biscuit. Yeah. I don't yeah. think I'm going to digest it, though. Niaz, you better take over this show because uh, I think I might have ruined it here with the different biscuits. No, no. Um, I, I, I'm just uh, being entertained like everybody here. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm um, trying to not visualize the food aspect uh, um, as we are fasting. <laughs> um, especially this this late uh, to the evening um, um, in fact this show in particular ladies and gentlemen is being pre-recorded for Monday so it is actually really 7:33 but um, it will be live um, from 11 at night on Monday and so uh, in theory we will have eaten but uh, currently we haven't eaten. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm going to jump uh, just to something interesting. It's Oxford uh, University's research um, on gut bacteria being linked to personality. So I'm already, I've been quiet for a reason because I've been listening to all your personalities and um, it, it's, it, according to them, uh, linked to personality. And, you know, so, sociable people have a higher abundance of certain types of gut bacteria, and also a more diverse bacteria, say Oxford University study that was done by Dr. Katrina Johnson. Um, and this was in the Department of Experimental Psychology uh, on human beings. Um, and uh, so she, she goes on in terms of her researching uh, is that there's a gut feeling and that the relationship between the bacteria living in the gut, the gut you know, microbiome, which we were talking about earlier, uh, there is a link to the behavioral traits of the person. And in the large human study, she found that both gut microbiome composition and diversity were really related to differences in personality, including sociability and neuroticism. Now that is really quite a, fascinating area it's new I think just 
coherent to what we're, we're also talking about, wouldn't you say? What do you think? That's, yeah, that, 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 that's quite new to me. I've not come across it. Thomas, I don't know if you've come across that. No, not at all. I was going to say that is really fascinating and very interesting. And I really want, as soon as I get off, I want to read that mm. um, article. <laughs> Yeah. I, I I will send it to you immediately. I I please, I, please I, I I like um, you know the innovation out there. I, I I cover biotech often, and so for me, it's trying to understand mind, body, soul, and and certainly the interventions and the studies that are being done now um, that are innovative, and they're coming from all over the world. I mean, it's not just from Oxford. But uh, you, it, what, it, what you're talking about reminds me of uh, when you talk about food and personalities, it made me think initially of Unani medicine and the temperaments. So there is that concept in traditional medicine in regards to your kind of base personality um, produces certain characteristics. So you're inclined to eating certain kinds of foods. So you, you do better to eat certain kind of foods depending on what your temperament is. That, that kind of makes sense. Like, look, for, for me, for example, and I'll jump back to what, you know, uh, Dr. Johnson was saying, but for me, I like sour things. I don't like sweet things, never have, uh, whilst I know other people in the family do like um, sweeter things. So there's different personality types that um, are attracted to certain types of foods. Certainly that's uh, understandable, but surely there's a subconscious level within us that realizes, well, you know, to prevent my blood, uh, high blood pressure and heart health to be better, um, my body's attracting uh, red berries and, you know, these sour things, which are actually antioxidants and heart healthy. Do you think that's something subconsciously going on in us? I, I think it could be for people that generally are healthier. I think a lot of people have lost touch with those nuances that are, you know, those messages that our body sends us, unfortunately. No, that, that, that's, that's actually a good, good point. Um, and I'm going to, uh, this is recorded that you have said that I am healthier. <laughs> <laughs> Certified, yes. To Bussum, if you agree, that is it. That's awesome. I'm healthy. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Totally. <laughs> Fantastic. And I don't look fat in this anymore. Wow. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, but Niaz, uh, I, I, I just in the, I mean, I, I, I've only chatted to you a few times and you, going back to nanny medicine and the temperaments, you come across as a choleric person and choleric people are quite um, sociable, excitable, and they burn off energy a lot quicker. So they tend to have lots of energy, but they need, so they can get away with eating a lot more because they just generally, they burn off that energy. So that, that would kind of, that's in tune with what I think your temper temperament is. You're you're quite accurate. Um, um, th that would be very accurate. And I'm also active. I think you, you realize that. I, I, what I've been trying to encourage, so a lot of the shows, I've been trying to encourage our Southeast Asian community to think about intake in terms of food, um, about our genetics as well. So we've had these brilliant professors and looking at, our biology, our human biology, and, and then the mishaps of our some of our genetics. I mean, I, I don't have perfect genetics, so I, I do know it, it's hard work. And then trying to improve lives by advocating and recommending 
um, you know, even uh, your your husband, I was trying to recommend to come and join me cycling. So, so you know, getting supportive, getting active, um, and I think creating that culture because I find that automatic, almost like more natural in Switzerland. People just went outside. We 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 say, hey, okay, tomorrow we're going to go for a walk. Okay, this is what the neighbors, you know, this is what the community. So it wasn't hard work. Um, here it's hard work. It's a lot more uh, to get people to come out and do things. Yeah, but I think the tide is changing. I, I totally agree with you, but I think there's some really great organizations and initiatives out there. I mean, I know as you're part of a bike club uh, of South Asian stroke Muslim men, um, there's also organizations like Boots and Beards, uh, which have done some really great work in our community trying to get people of the South Asian background active, doing hill walking, getting them out in nature. So there's more organizations and initiatives like this. And I think the tide is changing. I was saying to, uh, I was talking about this just a few days ago, on my way home from work, I was I finished quite late and I was driving through Newton Mearns at seven o'clock. And I noticed um, lots of brown people, um, a couple running and about six brown people on cycle bikes. And I just thought, this is great. Like this is, there's obviously a change happening because you're seeing a lot more people of color out exercising in the evening. So I think the tide is changing, Alhamdulillah. Yeah, mashallah, it's, it's really amazing. Look, last year in June, there, there were only, um, and this is almost in tandem, like I was invited to Boots and Beards as well. I love hiking, but um, in tandem, we, you know, with them, the cycle club initiated, um, which is a Mern cycling club. And from a humble beginning, you know, just a handful of people, friends, um, it's now about 50 and well over 36 or more are very active. And we've seen fundamental changes like, Iftikhar is one of the senior captains. He's um, he, uh, he he hopefully won't mind me mentioning his age. He's a young 51, 52, super fit, and he had a problem with his the curvature of his back. You know, so a lot of back pain, etc. With great training and and help with his uh, through a uh, professional dietitian, etc. He he has improved so much that he doesn't have pain anymore. Um, in terms of his body and just mentally also he's just feeling much better so it's like just wonderful news like that um, is a great example and I, I know from Boots and Beards they've said similar examples um, from what Kashif has told me. No I think definitely I think when you know I know myself you know when I was growing up you know going outdoors you know you went to your local park that was you going outdoors and experiencing nature you know, that, that was that was the extent of it, you know, it's only as I've got older that, you know, um, I, I've been walking with Boots and Beards and I've abs uh, absolutely enjoyed it because my source, my um, route of exercise was always going to a fitness class or going to the gym, indoors, stuffy atmospheres, you know, um, away from nature. Um, but now, you know, since I kind of um, started going on hill walks, you know, experiencing nature, true, real nature, you know, smelling, you know, the, the smells of nature and, um, you know, and actually the endorphins released by walking for hours and hours, even though you might be, it, it might be pouring, you know, the winds might be really, really strong, but the, the feeling of, you know, well-being that you get from that, you can't really, you can't really beat it. And it's like what Saira said, you know, and the opportunities, mashallah, there are so many opportunities, there's so many things going on, encouraging, you know, um, 
people from um, minority ethnic groups to to get to participate, you know, um, and supporting them in doing so because you don't you need to be confident um, to do it. And some people aren't confident. I know personally, I wouldn't be able to go on a hill walk on my own because I don't have the confidence. But if you're in a group, then you know you know you're um, you're with people that know what know know what they're doing and where they're going. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Sarah. Yeah, I, no, I was just I was just saying yes, agreeing with the Muslim. And also the thought occurred to me that as a community, the South Asian Muslim community are a very social community. So when you've got hill walking in groups, you've, you know, you're, you're encouraging people to come because it's a social activity as well. And that we know has lots of benefits. So it takes all those boxes. So exercise doesn't have to be a lone thing that you go to the gym and you do this hard slog and it's really hard to get yourself motivated. It can be a fun, and I think that's the key. I think we need to make it fun. We should do it as families, as friends, you know, go out in groups and go walking. And that's where the all the benefits, you get all the benefits. You can tick all the boxes, emotional health, physical health. Can I, can I ask, um, this is a question from audience members. Um, as we're getting closer to the end of the show, so maybe try some questions from them. Um, people are like worried about, you know, pre-dinner munchies that they get. So this is after Ramadan and, or after dinner getting munchies as well. So how, how do we handle that? And, and what's good, what's not? I think, I think um, if you're getting after dinner munchies, First of all, you have to look at what have you had for dinner? Have you had enough? You know, have you had, you know, um, enough vegetables in your meal? Have you had enough complex carbohydrates in your meal? You know, have you had a balanced meal? Because if you're still really quite hungry after your meal, maybe you just haven't eaten enough. So I think the first place to start is there. And then after that, if you have eaten, you know, a, a balanced diet, you know, you've had your, your your vegetables, your carbohydrate, and your your protein. You know, for in your in your diet. Then I think going for something, you know, ha allowing your something, not not denying yourself, but having something small occasionally is fine. But like something like fruit and yogurt, that's okay. You know, having a sorbet, that's fine. You know, occasionally, you know, a scone and and and, and jam. You know. Um, and that would be okay, you know, um, but I think rich things like chocolate cake or real heavy puddings or a bar of chocolate, I would limit that to, you know, occasionally. I wouldn't have them as often. So I would, like, I would, add, to, I would add to that if you're getting that kind of a crash after a meal, if you feel that you need to eat quite constantly, then actually that's maybe a sign that you're consuming too much sugar or too many processed carbs in your diet. Um, and again, going back to what the was saying, what did you actually eat for your meal? And that needs to be changed. Um, it's also to do with habits. So because sometimes making a change isn't easy and because your body's used to a certain type of food and it, it will crave it. But a lot of times it's often due to the fact if you're getting that crash after a meal, if you're wanting to snack after a meal, it's probably the meal itself that's the issue. So go back to that and make sure it's got your protein in it. It's got some healthy natural fats in it. It's got whole foods, complex carbs, lots of veg. And I really do think if you start with that, you know, and get all your macronutrients and micronutrients in your meal, you're much le less likely to want to snack after it. Okay, that's very good points. Um, I have got another person who's saying, I've been eating um, pakora samosas, 
as well. And after uh, opening my fast, uh, you know, I'm very hungry before, so I'm eating uh, all these appetizers that are cooked by auntie, uncle, mom, dad. Um, I'm feeling really tired and bloated, and I don't feel like I'm, I'm capable of um, exercising or doing anything, or not even a walk. What's the problem there? I think it's exactly what Saya has just said. You know, you you have had a really, really rich food. You know, that's probably putting you into a, a kind of sedated kind of state. You know, so really, if you're opening your fast, you know, open your fast with something like a fruit salad or some soup. You know, you'll have your, you know, your, your dates and your, your water to open your fast with. But, you know, launching into pagoda and smose, really deeply fried, you know, spice foods, you know, probably isn't a good idea. Not every day anyway, you know, occasionally, maybe once, you know, once a week, maybe, maybe having it, that's that, that would be acceptable. But if you're doing it every single day, then really, you know, you really know where, you know, you're going wrong because you're, you're eating the wrong food. You need to start with the right types of food. And, and even, even starting with the right food, you know, your main meal should be, like we said earlier, your main meal should be a proper nutritious balanced meal um so uh, that leads on to another question from a, an audience member what diet there's so many diets and there's so many fads what should i be doing there's no one perfect diet there's no one ticks all the boxes diet um, there's lots of diets out there that will work well for certain individuals and not work for other individuals there's lots of diets out there that will help you lose lots of weight really quickly um, and I think that this is what I'm saying about overwhelming information there's just too much information um, and I often you know there's there's some well-known diets and there's some evidence-based diets like the Mediterranean diet for example the plant-based diet is the one I talk about quite often and what I say to people is you know when I the plant-based diet is really a vegan diet and I don't advocate a vegan diet but I say that the majority of your meals should be whole foods and lots and lots of vegetables. And once you increase the vegetable content, you're less likely to be, you know, you should be decreasing the complex, the, the simple carbs and the starchy carbs. But there's no one diet ticks all the boxes. So we need to kind of get that clear. It's a very much a mindset change where it's about principles of eating. And the principles, like, can I just maybe say a few principles one of the big principles is decrease your processed foods eat real food number two decrease your meat consumption for ethical reasons for economical reasons for meat because it's eco-friendly and because you're going to do your health a whole lot of good by decreasing your meat consumption decrease sugar like we really actually don't need any sugar in our diet because we get the sugar that we need from the fruits and the vegetables that we eat and um, number four five at least five portions up to seven portions of vegetables a day and make them all different colors because if you make them all different colors you're more likely to get the range of vitamins and minerals and nutrition that you need in your diet um, and the last one is eat within like don't graze through the day and through the night like have a specific time where you start eating and have a specific time where you're like that's my last meal and then that's it you know so maybe you start breakfast at nine have your last meal and I know later and as you get better at that make that window smaller so it's almost like um it's a like a fasting window and that gives your gut time to heal and rest I'm yeah, gonna well, give everybody have... go ahead Abdul 
I wanted to pass on to you. Um, we have a few minutes left. So Abdul, um, please carry on. Yeah, well, uh, we've only got a couple of minutes left, but since the, the sister was giving us a kind of countdown of so many items there, um, I, I would say that the, the best dunking tea biscuit is a rich tea biscuit. <laughs> and the second best, believe it or not, and who, who am I to talk about dunking biscuits when the sister actually gave us the answer? The number two is a chocolate digestive. <laughs> so... And the number three is a hobnob. So the sister knows more about Dunkin' Biscuits than that myself. So you learn something every day. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Let, let's hope they're listening. The, the fact these factory owners are listening and they sponsor us. So that would be fantastic for Radio Ramadan. Um, Tabassum, uh, what would you like to add? We, we have um, just a couple minutes left and maybe you can add some further points in terms of uh, food? Uh -huh. I think, I think um, if you're looking to make dietary changes, I think, you know, small changes, realistic changes. We talk about it, I talk about it as smart goals. You know, small, measurable, um, achievable, realistic, and within a time frame. You know, so, you know, if you want to make dietary changes using that, don't make it too complicated for yourself. Don't, over, it's like what Saira says, you know, don't, it's overwhelming. Don't overwhelm yourself. Think about something that's important to you and you want to change and put that, that, that can be your goal, you know, and set yourself a time frame in which you want to achieve it. You know, the small goal, and then by the time you achieve it, you know, a sense of satisfaction will motivate you to make further changes. So, you know, don't, don't be too hard on yourself as well, because at the end of the day, you know, we learn, you know, we are, we're shaped by our environment, you know, we eat the way our environments, you know, and, you know, people around about us and everything, you know, we're, there's so many factors that, you know, influence the way we eat. And if that's not, you know, the healthiest way, then start small and build from there. Yeah, it's, that, that makes absolute sense. I mean, you know, take small, measurable steps. Um, another doctor also had said look um it's not about you know trying to uh, make major massive changes because those usually are the ones that don't work with their patients is what he was saying and um it was more like being intelligent in, in small steps so uh, reduce instead of having seven samosa maybe reduce it to two or three or something you know during the whole week um so it's it's not over radicalizing it is um, what, what I was told. Um, and I, I really liked how you broke it down. Um, I'm, I'm gonna ask Abdul to give his 30 seconds on what he's learned. What have you learned, Abdul? Because we have um, a very little amount of time left. Yeah, you know, on a serious note, um, I think we could, uh, if we're hungry, sugar, a chocolate bar's not the answer. And that's really dangerous. And, and that's where a lot of people make a lot of mistakes. And I think, like the sisters were saying, you know, eat healthier. And, and a lot of this is a wee bit of preparation. If we prepare to maybe eat something before we do whatever we're doing, then we won't have to snack sugary items. So I think a lot of the danger is, is filling that gap with junk. That's, that's probably all I would say. Okay. Um, Sarah, how would you like to end this in, in 10, 15 seconds or less? Um, last comments, there's no one perfect diet. Diet doesn't mean necessarily that you need to lose weight uh, and keep it simple for yourself. Maybe stick with one meal and upscale that. Maybe start with breakfast, make that better. Keep it simple. 
Thank you. And Tavasam, how about yourself? How would you like to sum up and end this for our wonderful audience tonight? I think um, um, the hadith that probably everybody does know um, is, you know, when you're eating, you know, a third of your um, stomach should be food and there should be a third of it should be food, a third should be water and a third should be air. So, you know, if you follow those principles, I think you'll be on the right track. Alhamdulillah, you know, we've been blessed with guidance and we should follow that. MashaAllah, what a beautiful, wonderful, perfect ending message. Um, ladies and gentlemen, um, thank you so much for listening to us tonight. We really appreciate your time and we look forward to having you join us again from Mondays to Wednesdays on Late Night Live on Radio Ramadan. Thank you all for the, our wonderful, amazing guests, for my co-host, Abdulaziz. I really appreciate having you all on, and uh, we will have you on soon. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum. Khudafiz. Allah Take care.